to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula 1 fanatic with Jake Peach and Chris Moss. We really appreciate every one of you who's been listening and getting involved with the podcast. Thank you all for your support and kind words since we started this podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, to make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we'll be looking at what happened in the test in Bahrain. We've had a few days to digest that all and uh, who we think will be the 2021 Drivers' Champion as well as looking at the news from the sport we all very much love. So going straight into the news and as to what happened, and as many of you are probably aware, we had some terrible news in the world of Formula 1. Murray Walker, the king of the commentary box and the voice of Formula 1 for so many years, sadly passed away this week. Yeah, he was such a character, wasn't he? And of course, Chris... He wasn't around immediately in our lifetime, but we've we've certainly, of course, looked back at the archives and how he brought those races to life. And his voice inspired so many quirky phrases known as Murrayisms. And sometimes he would mess up, but people would forgive him because of the passion he had for the sport and the ability to engage with the audience and keep his passion up as well through the ups and downs that we saw from the commentary box. But Murray wasn't the only sad news, sadly, we got this week in the community. We also lost the incredible talent and queen of the Nürburgring, uh, Shabine Schmidt, the only woman to win the 24-hour Nürburgring race after a long illness. And both for send condolences to the families of Murray and Sabine. Uh, Chris, looking particularly at Murray, what's your particular phrase that reminds you of such an icon in the sport that he was? So for me, my favourite phrase... Uh, it's very apt for the dominance that Mercedes have shown recently, which is the lead car is unique, except for the one behind it, which is identical. Very apt for the Mercedes team uh, of the past seven years. Um, but his commentary was just simply unique itself. He made F1 more interesting watching his, you know, antics of sometimes not knowing what was going on just made it so much more enjoyable to watch. And, you know, even though both of us wasn't, around in his heyday of the 80s and 90s and even the 70s and 60s you know we, we we're very fortunate that we're able to go back especially with you know the f1 tv to go back and watch all the old races and you know hear him in the commentary box thinking back for me in the races i've watched from the archive and and the ones that have stood out to me is when damon hill won his title in suzuka you know that famous line I think we were only talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about this phrase. I got to stop because I got a lump in my throat and people at the time said that he might have been playing that up for the entertainment of it all. But um, because he was obviously very close with the Hill family, seeing his father, Graham, win the title and then his son do it as well. I think that's quite a harsh, harsh way to look at it. And I think anyone that knew Murray Walker and and that's the thing, isn't it? We, We all felt like we knew him. We thought he was genuine. He was just one of us, really, as, as passionate a fan as many of us are. Uh, another one of his most famous commentary moments uh, was when Senna took out Alan Prost at Suzuka as well. It, it's happened immediately uh, and just provided and supplemented the drama that was going on on the track. It's it's a very sad loss. But the, the great thing about broadcasting, as you know, Chris, is that you can watch and listen back to them and uh, his voice will live on. He certainly won't be forgotten anytime soon. And say, so going back to that clip you were just mentioning about Alan Prost and Senna, Murray Walker then added, this is fantastic. <laughs> just just to make it a, a collision between the two uh, world champion elects. A- any more tense? <laughs> I don't think he even waited to see if they were okay. He just said, this is great. No, he, he went flat out for it. 
I guess it was nice in a way that when the community were all together again at the first test that people were able to reflect and, and remember him. He certainly won't be forgotten anytime soon. Absolutely. And if you guys have any memories that you'd like to share of Murray Walker, please do let us know and we'll, uh, we'll be interested to read them. Um, this week also saw the first action of the 2021 season with testing. Many assumptions have been made as to where people were, what was doing what, and obviously the sandbagging, which ironically, there was a sandstorm on the Friday afternoon session. Red Bull were the most consistent over the three days, producing quick, constantly quick times across the board. The biggest shock, however, was probably the inconsistency of the reigning champions, Mercedes. Jake, what did you think when you saw what was happening out on track? Oh, come on. It's even the most elaborate sandbagging plan I've ever seen and really trying to throw people off the scent. Although they generally were having the worst test that we've ever seen in many years, especially in this hybrid era of Mercedes. I mean, the fact that, uh, that it's been branded around that Hamilton deliberately spun when he was trying to go for that fast lap on the third day of testing just to throw people off the scent. I mean, it sounds crazy and you can't believe it really. I mean, would they really do that? Would they go that far to throw people off the scent? I very much doubt it. I think the thing to remember is that since we've had this hybrid era of testing, Mercedes have only ever come out the quickest car twice in them two years. Williams were the, were the first ones to be the quickest in 2014. Mercedes got the fastest times in 2015 and 2020 with Ferrari getting the rest of the fastest times. So it's not been, you know, testing one and done for Mercedes as everybody assumes it is every year. But it will only be when we get to Bahrain next week where we find out as to their true pace. I guess we've got to take Mercedes' performance with a pinch of salt, though, because, as you say, they've only been quick at two tests in the past, and then they've come out and shown their true colours in the first race in, in those other seasons. I think it's very much us trying to drum up some drama looking at it all this way before the season starts and satisfy our cravings, but I can't see Mercedes losing that much pace. But Red Bull fair play to them. They've come out for the first time in quite a few years out of the blocks, and in previous years they've struggled to make a good first impression, whether it's reliability or whether it's sheer pace, performance, but Max Verstappen only putting in the fastest time of testing, which doesn't mean a lot, but it's bragging rights, isn't it? Compared to Yuki Tsunoda, which was the biggest surprise, I think, of the test, seeing him thousands of a second behind Max Verstappen. Yeah, absolutely. Yuki Tsunoda did an absolute wonder class in that Alpha Tauri. Um, yeah, he, you know, he, he did, I think, I think I saw a report uh, that he was opening the DRS where, in the Grand Prix wouldn't be permitted, but because it's testing, there is no permitted areas of DRS. So he he was doing something that I don't think any other driver was doing. So if, if that gate found him time, then, you know, well done for him for, you know, get, get, getting around it. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite clever. I didn't know that, actually. I haven't I hadn't read that before in the last few days. I'm not sure then whether it's a true reflection of his pace, but either way, he still looked rapid, very much on it and very much in control of the car, unlike some other drivers during the test, which I guess he's only been in for, you know, a few times being a rookie. Well, yeah, he's, he's been he's been in it since testing. <laughs> um, but I think it just shows as well, the Honda engine for this year is looking very, very good for them. They didn't have any reliability issues, which uh, can't be said for the same for the Mercedes uh, engine supplier teams. Um, and yeah, they, they did quite a lot of laps. 422 for the AlphaTauri team, 369 for Red Bull. 
you know that's close to 800 laps between the two and again like no issues with the engine so far yeah which is a massive comparison to when honda joined up with mclaren for the first time again in in the hybrid era and it literally couldn't be any different could it i guess it's Honda's last year in the sport and as an engine supplier and then Red Bull going to obviously take that in-house, adopt the engine. They seem to want to be going out of the bang in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, their, their aim from the get-go is going to be to win that Constructors' Championship and hopefully the Drivers' Championship as well for either one of the four drivers. Now, my prediction in the previous episodes had Alpha Tauri finishing above Red Bull. If they're genuinely this close in the test, I mean, if that DRS story is true with Sonoda and he was opening it a bit more than he should, how much time would he have gained from that? I think it depends on how many times he opened it. Um, the only bit that I saw was he opened it, I think, maybe 200 metres from the start-finish line. So, it, But, again, it depends on... yeah. But, you know, extra, extra, you know, potential half a tenth, potentially, you know. But I think overall, like, they, they all weren't that far away from each other. Um, Perez, he, he weren't running the morning session, was a little bit slower, but you'd expect that with the uh, times coming down in the afternoon. And uh, Pierre Gasly, he did a time, I was only a couple of tenths off that as well. Incredibly close, much closer than we would have expected a lot of talk as well about McLaren and this very clever rear diffuser design just got a lot of people talking seems to be a clever adaptation of the rules what do you make of it McLaren have been known to innovate many times before they've uh, won championships from clever designs I mean we saw it when uh, back in the 80s with Senna and Prost they, they had the dominant car because they worked it around the rules um I, I said with my own predictions, I thought McLaren were going to have a very good car with, with the Mercedes engine. And, you know, on day one, Ricardo showed his pace. Norris has showed his pace as well. They're not as quick as uh, the Red Bull team over lap times. But again, you don't know fuel loads or whatever. So I think as a, as a starting block, they're looking very, very strong. As we know, race pace is a completely different ball game. You can be quick on a Saturday, but when it comes down to the Sunday, the most crucial part, you've got a car that can perform better over long distance on heavy fuel loads, then that's what matters at the end of the day. But of course, very hard to tell. We didn't know what fuel loads people were running throughout testing. And Mercedes plights could have been the fact that they were running 25% more fuel, more fuel. I was obviously watching the coverage like many other people were and uh, the commentators on there were saying that Mercedes have historically run 15-20% more fuel during testing to hide their pace. I guess another method to try and hide their true potential and actually if you watch the team launch with Toto Wolff and James Allison with the car launch uh, with Steve Jones as well, Mercedes said they'd found a way around a lot of time with sort of changes on the floor of the car and regulations relating to that. There was a lot of talk about that as well so Mercedes it seems being very secretive and keeping things under wraps but I guess that's something they've got to do isn't it as uh, seven-time champions yeah I mean they're, they're the defending champions they're, they're not going to want to give any secrets away especially with what blew up last year of Racing Point and uh, the, the brake ducts and that so they're going to very much want to keep their cars to their chest what did you make of Ferrari at the test then we had Carlos Sainz Jr getting his first run at his new team we know that Obviously, last season was one of the worst seasons for them in the history of their time in F1. Do you see it being a year of rebuilding and any possible strong performances that they could put in? Or is it too difficult to say at this point? Um, I think it is quite difficult to say. Um, Carlos looked very strong on the Sunday 
session. Uh, he set the third fastest time overall. Um, but you know, again, it's down to fuel loads. We don't we don't know anything like that. I think they're going to be very much in the midfield this year. I don't see them being um, challenging for consistent podiums. There's a good chance that they will get a couple of podiums. They did last year, uh, so we know that that is a potential. But you know, I think this year they they're very much going to be focusing and developing their car for next year, and just hope that this season comes and goes. Very much still suffering from that technical directive that we all know too well related to the fuel flow with their power unit. And ever since Ferrari have not been the same, really, they've not been able to develop it and try and improve it because obviously only have you only have so many development tokens you can use. And if you change the engine, then you have to change the gearbox and all the bodywork around that. So it makes it really difficult to make such a drastic change to improve performance. Although it's all still slightly worrying to have the Alfa Romeo of Kimi Raikkonen just over a tenth behind Carlos Sainz at testing. Obviously, Ferrari's the works team. It's still very worrying, isn't it? I don't think Ferrari would be too worried about the Alfa Romeo pace. Um, again, it was only a couple of tenths. Kimi was on a faster tyre. Um, so, again, Ferrari can have some sort of relaxation, the fact, the fact that it wasn't set on the same tyre. And obviously the Haas was a lot slower with the same engine and the same tyre that they were on. Big expectations as well this year for Aston Martin, who were racing point last season. Some very controversial points made about how similar their car was to the Mercedes winning car of 2019. But a new chapter for Aston Martin. They say the car this season is a completely new build from scratch as there's not as many or if any of those standardised parts that we were aware of last season. So yeah, big expectations on them with Lawrence Stroll putting all his money and commitment into the team, rebranding. And I think they would have liked to have had a bit of a better test, wouldn't they? Yeah, definitely. Pace-wise, they, they didn't really show too much. But I think that the biggest concern at the minute is all the issues they're having. They had a gearbox issue on day one. They've been having electrical issues, turbo issues. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, he, he didn't even set his fastest time on any of the C1 to 5 tyres. He set his on the testing tyre. You know, I think track time was a, a big issue uh, that they had. They didn't get much track time. I think, in fact, they got the second lowest amount of uh, laps in the session. Uh, they got 314, only Mercedes with 304 had less and they had their own problems as well. Um, so I, I think compared to the heights that they had at the end of last season with winning the Grand Prix in Bahrain, I think, yeah, Aston Martin have got a long way to come to get back to where they were. If we look at it though, and again, this has something else that has been uh, banded around as a bit of a room, a bit of a conspiracy Mercedes not doing very many laps because of the problems in inverted commas that they had, but they have their customer teams with the Mercedes engine doing the laps. I'm pretty sure that they can go to those teams and ask for that data. So it wouldn't have been a disaster for them. Maybe it was another tactic that was thought about during testing. It's all very strategic, isn't it? It is. I don't think they'd be asking other teams for the data. I don't think the other teams would give them the data. I think the only thing they'd be wanted to know is the reliability of their engines for the fact that obviously they're the ones that build the engines they they want to obviously keep them as customers because they're getting revenue from them and they obviously if they have any issues from their customers they're going to want to rectify them which will also benefit them in the long run as well yeah a bit of a far-fetched theory but i thought i'd mention 
I'd mention it because other people might have cottoned on to the fact that it might be a strategy that they're using, which is totally insane if they were. Uh, a comment made by Karen Chandock as well, former HRT driver and drove 11 Grand Prix in Formula One, uh, now very knowledgeable in F1 and its broadcasters. Uh, he said the consistency of Fernando Alonso was the most impressive throughout the test. The way he kept hitting the apex, had very consistent lap times, was something quite remarkable really, considering he's been away from the sport again. What do you make of his chances this season? Yeah, he, he he's very consistent. He was always known for his consistency when he was in Formula 1 uh, the last time. I think this season's very much just a stepping stone waiting for 2022 for him. It's, you know, it's going to take him a little while to get back to, you know, getting pace in the car. Um, he's already showing that he's quicker than his teammate of Esteban Ocon. Uh, which is uh, that can only be a good thing for, for that. Outdrive the cut. We saw it when he was with Ferrari and when he was with McLaren. He was getting results that really the car shouldn't have been getting. So I think, you know, Fernando will be quietly confident that, you know, the car's in the right direction and, you know, hopefully he can, he can get some podiums out of it. For Esteban Ocon, it's a really make-or-break season for him. And, and likewise, if Ocon wipes the floor with Alonso, it's similar to his time at McLaren. It won't seem like it's been a good decision to come back to the sport. Yeah, I think Ocon, at the end of the day, he'll want to beat his teammate. Um, Fernando doesn't tend to get beaten by his teammates that often. I think Lewis Hamilton potentially could be the only one uh, in recent times that has beaten him. It's... Uh, yeah, Ocon's got a, a big task ahead of him this season, for sure. I mean, we saw, you know, Alex Albon last year. He had to try and beat Max Verstappen. Didn't come anywhere close to him. So, Ocon, I think, you know, he's got to try and pull some out of the bag. I think he will beat Alonso in a few races. Um, but, you know, it's very much potentially going to define him as a driver this season. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. Uh, it's going to be one of the most interesting pairings uh, along the grid, I think. And there are lots of interesting pairings this season that are going to be very exciting to watch as well. We've got a new partnership at Ferrari, of course. We've got a new partnership at McLaren, also at Red Bull. It's going to be very interesting to see how all those battles play out. Which one are you most excited about? I think the McLaren pairing, Ricardo and Lando Norris, they're, they're both two very, very happy guys. They're two, you know... They like to have a joke between each other. We saw that a couple of years ago at Silverstone where Daniel Ricciardo made Lando Norris cry with laughter whilst uh, they were interviewing Lewis Hamilton. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the one to watch. You know, if you see either of them with not a smile on their face, you know something's going on behind the scenes. Um, they, they look very quick this year. They look like they're going to push each other. You know, and hopefully Lando's found himself another bromance. <laughs> Although uh, Daniel Ricciardo making making it quite clear in the press early on that they're, he's not there to mess about. Carlos and Lando, as you say, got on very well, but Ricciardo seems to not be taking any prisoners this time around. He certainly wants to put the pressure on Lando right from the off. For sure. And, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, he's, he's, a, he's a race winner. He, he wants to go to a team to win races. He went to a Renault team which didn't do what he particularly wanted to do. He never got to win a race. He got podiums, which is what he set out to do uh, last season. And Cyril still got to get that tattoo. But, you know, he saw the McLaren project for this season with a Mercedes engine and the way they're going. 
as his best chance to start winning races again. Yeah, I think having that Mercedes engine further cements their position. And as we've said previously here on the podcast, they've got a great chassis along with Red Bull on the grid. So it's going to be very exciting to see how they do. Let's mention near the back of the grid now then. Unfortunately for Williams, it doesn't seem like a season where they can make much advancements, but they did seem to leapfrog Haas at the test, which has got to be a positive sign, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. George Russell on, on the final day of testing, his only day of testing, uh, with Williams given a day to each driver, with Roy Nisani unfortunately being the one in the sandstorm. Uh, yeah, George Russell did an absolute phenomenal job. He did a, a low 130, which was, I think, one and a half seconds quicker than what they did in the actual qualifying for the 2020 Grand Prix. Absolutely phenomenal job by George Russell. The Latifi, a little bit slower, but he was on par with what the Haas were doing. And the, the Haas were doing that on day three, whereas Latifi was doing it the day before, where there was less rubber on the track. Haas have got Nikita Mazepin with his reputation from F2, but also Mick Schumacher, both very young talents. It's hard to see how they can extract enough performance out of the car to make a solid midfield impression this season. Maybe they're looking towards next season and focusing on the new regulations and to get a new head start there? Yeah, possibly. Uh, it's it's going to be hard because, you know, we've seen it before. Normally, new teams, they drop one driver and get a, a rookie in but they still have like a senior driver to push them forward because they've got experience. Haas have literally started from scratch. Brand new car, two brand new drivers. You know, it's going to be a slow process, especially with what we've seen so far with the times on track. They're going to be at the back of the field for a while, but their their hope is that they, they score more than, uh, more than I think the eight points that they got last season. Funnily enough, Lewis Hamilton has said that this season is not about the record eighth title to beat the all-time equaling record he has with Michael Schumacher, but it's very hard to believe that, isn't it? He he wants to use his success and legacy in the sport to affect change with the Black Lives Matter movement and diversity, but surely he wants that eighth title, right? Anyone would. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why he's racing. He's racing to win. He's not racing to come second. You know, he's come second plenty of times, but he's a proven winner along with the great Michael Schumacher. He's got the record for the most amount of the race wins. He's got the record for the poles. He could get over 100 both of those this season. You know, he he wouldn't have signed a one-year contract if he didn't think he, he had a chance to win the eighth. No, of course not. I think we'd all love to see it because it's unlikely that we might see that happen again for a very long time. We, we've said this once before and, and within 20 years it's already been smashed. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, you never know, do you, uh, with drivers getting younger. Of course, Max was very young when he started with Toro Rosso. Landon Norris is very young still, and George Russell still very young as well. These are the kinds of people who have been tipped as future champions. And, and you've got Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin as well, both starting out, and Yuki Sonoda. Yeah, exactly. And he's only 20, which is incredible. Very, very talented, very fast, but also... Very short. I don't know if uh, the height makes any difference on the track, but uh, I did read actually somewhere this week that he has to have a special pedal kit to drive the car because he's only five foot or something. Oh, that's amazing. But it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter how tall or short you have to be. If you, if you can race, you can race. I guess one of the final points to mention on this episode is whether we see Red Bull really challenging Mercedes this year, considering what we've seen now from the test as well. Do we take that with a pinch of salt or do we actually take it for what it's worth? And I think Red Bull are here to mean business and give Mercedes a real hard time this year. I think as an F1 fan, as a racing fan, I think everybody wants to say yes. 
Red Bull can take it to Mercedes this year. Very conclusive answer there. Yeah, you've had it. That's Chris's opinion. And of course, the pandemic has mixed the sport up quite a bit within teams and, and sport in general. I would love, I don't know about you, I would love to see a repeat of the beginning of the 2012 season where we had seven different race winners in the first seven different races. Do you see that happening or do you think it'll very much be the status quo? Uh, I I can see many teams winning a race. Um, whether it will happen in the first seven like that, I don't know. Uh, but there is a good chance that, you know, teams that you wouldn't have expected could get race wins. You know, Aston Martin on their day might have turned into the 2020 racing point and, you know, got gone and got themselves a win. You know, anything can happen on any given day. We saw that, say, Italy last year. You know, Alpha Tauri weren't anywhere near to getting a race victory that day. But things played out and boom, Pierre Gasly gets his first race win. Now, in your constructors' predictions, Chris, who did you say could get a race win? I forgot. So I said, I think it, the one, the, the big bombshell that you're thinking of. I think I said Alfa Romeo. That's it, because you were wanting Kimi to win a race. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd love to see Kimi win a race again. Like I would absolutely love it. It would be the greatest thing since sliced bread just to hear him on the radio. Well, only time will tell, as they say. And at the moment, we're currently getting our fix from Drive to Survive leading up to the first race, where we've been taken behind the scenes. Are you enjoying the first couple of episodes so far, Chris? I'm currently on episode two right now. Uh, First episode was good. Uh, Obviously, a lot of anger from the Australian fans, uh, as to be expected. No spoilers, though, Chris. No no spoilers, no spoilers. but we're very much looking forward to the first race in Bahrain next week and, and the 22 other races, which will be a major achievement if they're all still able to take so, place. So, Jake, very close to call. Who's your going to be your 2021 Drivers' Champion? Oh, it's, it's so hard to say, isn't it? But uh, as we said in the last episode, I find it very hard to believe Mercedes not clinching that title once more, rounding off this dominant hybrid era for them with Hamilton and... Yeah, that's my call. It has to be. I, I, I think I can't really see anyone else doing it. Do you agree, or do you think there'll be quite an upset this year? I, I can see, uh, you know, Max being very close and pushing it towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, but I guess this season, the same with like last season, anything can happen. You know. Hamilton could just be on an absolute masterclass again and outdrive a car that potentially might not be the quickest on the grid like he did in 2018. Well, it it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? Um, we'll be back next week ahead of the first race in Bahrain, wearing our merch and our favourite team stops, getting excited and rolled up for the first live race here on Around the Outside. Jake Peach and Chris Moss with you for this episode. We'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>